Nehemiah rallied the people of Jerusalem in rebuilding their city wall and revitalizing their relationship with God. And he's not finished yet. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah wraps up the series, 10 Steps to Spiritual Renewal, with a look at how God is still using this Old Testament leader to minister to the current generation. Listen as David shares his message, Becoming Separate Unto the Lord. Well, thank you for joining us, and most of all, thank you for being with us for this entire series of 10 Steps to Spiritual Renewal. We have unpacked the last few chapters of the book of Nehemiah, and we have learned how Nehemiah brought the people of Israel back to a place of renewal and repentance, and uh, we discovered that the principles that he used are still the principles we use today to get from where we are to where we need to be. Let me remind you, as we come to the end of this series today, that there is a study guide and a set of CDs that go with this series. You can get those by going to davidjeremiah.org. You will see them listed there. Let me just suggest that you take the opportunity to get enough study guides for the people in your small group. You get the CDs so you can listen and be a better facilitator. And then get together and study this. Study what it means to have spiritual renewal in your life. This series especially will will provoke some very interesting discussions and will be good for your soul, be good for your friends. Take advantage of the opportunity of it being on the air right now uh, to follow up with your own personal Bible study. And then don't forget, we still have a few days left in the month of January, and that means there's still a few days for you to get your copy of the prayer code. 40 Scripture Prayers Every Believer Should Pray, the latest code book by O.S. Hawkins. You know, prayer is powerful, and the prayer code by O.S. will help you learn how to pray with confidence and faith and an awareness of the Holy Spirit as you draw from world-changing prayers from Scripture. This is not a book that was meant to inflict guilt for your not praying better than you do. It was a book meant to encourage you that prayer is an adventure, and it's a blessing, and you pray, and God honors your prayers. As you explore the 40 prayers found in Scripture, you'll find life-guiding principles to help you. And in addition, you will learn how to pray for peace in times of change. Certainly, all of us should be joining in that prayer as we look out of our windows today into the watching world. So when you send your gift to Turning Point during this month, be sure to ask for your copy of the prayer code. It's our way of saying thank you for your investment in all that we're doing around the world to teach the Word of God. Let's find out what it means to be separate unto the Lord as we come to this last lesson in this 10-step series. Looking back through the history of the Old Testament, were there not a man by the name of Nehemiah, it is hard to say what would have become of God's people. When I review the first few chapters in a different way from the way in which we looked at the 10 steps for building and the 10 steps for renewal, I think of Nehemiah personally and I realized that as a leader, there were three very important things about his life. First of all, there was his ordination. And secondly, there was his organization. And thirdly, there was his opposition. Those three things are always a part of any project and always a part of any discussion on leadership. It doesn't take very long to review the ordination of Nehemiah. We read in the first few verses of the first chapter and in the beginning of the second chapter that Nehemiah was serving as the king's cupbearer in Shushan the palace. When a man by the name of Hanani, one of his brethren who had escaped from Jerusalem, 
told him of the struggles and the oppression the people whom Nehemiah loved were going through. This caused Nehemiah to fall to his knees and pray to God for deliverance from his people. And one of the great parts of this book is the prayer of Nehemiah in the early part of chapter 1. His prayer to God is recorded for us in verses 5 through 11. The earnestness of his prayer can scarcely be missed if you read it and read it carefully. For we read in the fifth verse, And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. And he goes on to pray to God for direction as to how he might be used in the solving of this problem. Certainly, Nehemiah teaches us that one of the areas of our praying today, which is very weak, is our intensity. Nehemiah prayed with intensity. In fact, I went back through the book and I underlined all of his prayers. And Nehemiah had a wonderful way of saying this little phrase, Remember me, O Lord. At a particular time, he would say, Remember me, O Lord. And who of us who's been in leadership or involved in any particular pursuit for the Lord hasn't had to stop along the way and say, Remember me, O Lord. In this particular part of my life, don't forget me. In his ordination, there was first of all his prayer to God, and then there was his plea to the king. In verses 1 through 6 of the second chapter, one day when Nehemiah was serving wine to the king, the king noticed that he was very sad. And the king asked him why he was experiencing such trouble. And Nehemiah tells us in the second chapter that he was afraid to tell the king about his sadness because, you see, it was a capital offense to be sad in the presence of a king. But there was nothing left for Nehemiah to do but to tell the king the whole story. And so he said, why shouldn't I be sad? Look at the condition of my people in Jerusalem. The city where I grew up is in rubbles and the gates of the city are broken down. And then the king asked Nehemiah in the second chapter a very interesting question. He said, what can I do to help? Wasn't exactly what the man expected to hear from this king, but he was ready with an answer. And before he was finished that day in his plea to the king, He had everything that he would need to complete the entire project in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Then in verses 6 through 8 of the second chapter, we see his plan for action. If you read that section of the Word of God, you notice that the king asked Nehemiah two questions. How long will your journey be, and when will you return? Nehemiah had already given some great thought to those questions. And even though they came at an unexpected time, he had an immediate answer And he gave the answer back to the king, and it so impressed him that he not only sent Nehemiah away, but he gave to him letters that he might use to get permission so that he could get through the foreign territory and collect all the materials that were needed to rebuild the wall. And that's one of the reasons why it was accomplished in 52 days, because Nehemiah had planned in his heart. He had thought out ahead of time what he would do when certain events took place. He had a goal and a purpose. At the same time, they're always sure to fail. Nehemiah had a goal and a purpose and a plan of action. And because of that, when the moment came, he was ready to move forward. That's kind of Nehemiah's ordination, the early part of his life. But when you come to the end of the second chapter, you begin to see his organization. Now, sometimes people tell me that it's not spiritual to be organized. And when I look at their lives, I understand they really believe that. They believe that with all their hearts. But you know, the Bible is organized. And God is organized. And the world that God created is organized. And there's something wonderfully blessed about falling into sync with the organized God. Oh, not to make it something that we are slavish to, but just to get involved in the structure, in the symmetry, in the balance, in the rhythm of God's world. 
Nehemiah was a very organized man. That's why he was able to do all that he did. He constantly challenges me. Before Nehemiah did anything or met anyone at all, he looked the situation over. Remember his night ride? Neither told I any man what God had put in my heart to do in Jerusalem. He was a man who kept quiet until he had something to say. He went out and looked at the ruins of the city once he arrived on the scene, and he wasn't going to do anything until he had the project well in hand up here. There's an old adage that says the project is going to be here before it's on the corner. He saw what God wanted him to do up here. He had a perfect vision and picture of it, and when that was completed, then he was ready to go and direct his people. There are so many today that you and I watch, both in the secular world and in the church, who walk into a new position and right away begin to change things and start new programs without ever observing what has been done in the past and what needs to be done in the future. What an illustration of the value of silence is Nehemiah. He just kept quiet until he knew what God wanted him to do. I imagine that as Nehemiah rode slowly around the city, he was in prayer to God for his leading in this enormous task that was his. And he was trying to get God's picture of this tremendous challenge. Not only did Nehemiah consider the project as a part of his organization, but secondly, he challenged the people. This was one of my favorite messages in this series, for in the verses that we look at in the last part of chapter 2, verses 17 to 20, after seeing the ruins of the wall, it would have been so easy for Nehemiah to come back and tell the people how hard it was going to be to do this work and to present a dark picture of the task that was before them, sort of like the spies that came back out of to Kadesh Barnea, out of the Promised Land. But he didn't do that. He simply reminds them of the task that is before them, and he says, Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Nehemiah gave his people a pep talk, something like the pep talk given in the dressing room before a big game. He got them together, and he motivated them. And he said, do you see what they have done to us? Are we just going to sit here and take this? Or are we going to get up on our feet and do something about it? Let's get going. Let's build this wall. And before you know it, he had those people stirred up and ready to action. The reminder that God was going to be with them seemed to be the final charge to these builders. And he wouldn't let them forget it. Then after he challenges the people, he commences with the plan. In verse 20, we read in the second chapter, that Nehemiah didn't wait around. Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. It is hard to tell if there was a time lapse between chapter 2 and chapter 3, but I'm inclined to think that there was not. For in chapter 3 we read, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren the priest, and they builded was just a moment of time between Nehemiah's challenge and the beginning of the project. Then, having looked at his organization briefly, it's interesting to take a moment and review his opposition. You know, there's an old adage that you should never preach on anything that you haven't experienced or that you're not ready to experience. Most of us would never preach anything if we had to experience it all, but I am becoming very convinced that it's dangerous to preach on anything that you're not ready to experience. It seems as if whenever you preach the Word of God or teach it in a Sunday school class or even in a Bible study, it isn't long after you've unfolded the truth that God sends some fresh experiences into your life to help you understand the real nature of that truth as it should be internalized in your everyday life. But you know something? It's a great encouragement to me to know that the enemy never opposes that which he does not fear. 
He will do anything he can to discourage us. He will bring opposition against us, even as it was brought against Nehemiah. Now, just review with me the kind of opposition that Nehemiah faced. First of all, some of the opposition was from without. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, they, first of all, outside of the camp of Israel, there were some who tried to discourage him by derision. In the first nine verses in the fourth chapter, we read that when Nehemiah began to build the walls of the city, his opponents in the persons of Sanballat and Tobiah began to make fun of him and to scoff at him. Sanballat said, what a stupid thing you are doing. Why do you think that, that you can do this? And who do you think you are that you can build up a wall that is laying in rubbish all this time? Nehemiah, even if a fox brushed up against the wall you're going to build, it would fall to pieces in a minute. Now, that's kind of some Old Testament Jewish sarcasm. That's a put-down if you could ever read one in the Scripture. One cannot help but remember another time in history when one of God's servants was involved in a building project, and I wish I could have been around to write down all of the criticisms of Noah when he was building an ark out in the wilderness where it had never rained. Wouldn't you like to read that? You talk about a guy being put down. Derision. And then when derision didn't work, the enemy tried to stop the project by delay. In verses 7 through 9 of the fourth chapter, we read that when Sanballat discovered that he could not shame Nehemiah into stopping the project, he tried to gain allies who would help him in hindering the progress of the wall. And the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites were only too glad to join in with the raiding parties, and so they used to do these midnight raids and discourage them, this kind of fifth column activity, if you will. There are always those who are willing to cooperate if they can do damage to the work of God. You find somebody that raises up a standard against the Lord, and it won't be long till he's gathered a little group around him that will help him do his dirty work. Notice the two things that Nehemiah did to combat the opposition. He first of all prayed to his God. One more time, Nehemiah shows us the importance he placed on prayer. He was a man of prayer. That's why God used him. Perhaps this was the key to his success. And the second thing we read concerning Nehemiah's preventing tactics is this. He set a watch against them day and night because of them. It reminds me of the two elements present in the command of our Lord to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 41. You remember what he said? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. He set up a watch and he began to pray. Sometimes I think we feel like we have to fight fire with fire. But when derision comes and delay comes, the answer is usually going to be found in our collective prayer, in our commitment to God in the spiritual realm, rather than trying to figure out a way to combat all of the problems ourselves, come up with some cute little method to get it to go away. Well, they couldn't stop Nehemiah by derision, and they couldn't slow him down by delay, so they resorted to deceit. And you'll have to find that over in the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 4. I marvel at the low opinion that Sanballat had for Nehemiah. Did he actually think that he could lure Nehemiah out to a secret place where he might be disposed of easily? This was his intention as we read verse 2 of chapter 6. Notice what it says. And Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some of the villages in the plain of Ono, but they thought to do me mischief. Notice Nehemiah's editorial comment at this particular time. He says, But they sought to do me mischief. He knew what they were up to. And you remember I told you, when they said to Nehemiah, Come out to Ono, Nehemiah said, Oh, no. <laughs> and he wasn't pulled down from the project to go out through their deceit. 
The ridicule that Sanballat had given to Nehemiah had not worked, neither had the delaying tactics. So now he goes one step further. He is trying to trap him into a place where he can be done away with. And just as in every case before, God was equal to the occasion. He put the wisdom into Nehemiah's head to see through the trap and spared his servant's life. We can always be sure that if God is directing the project, he will help us deal with the opposition that comes up against it at the particular time we have to face it. How we need to depend upon God in this day of ours. Satan is still going around seeking whom he may devour, and we have to ask God to give us wisdom so that we will not be taken in by the deceitful tricks of the enemy who comes with his crowd to try to derail us and delay us and deceive us from accomplishing the goal that he has put before us. But I dare say to you, men and women, that the problems Nehemiah had as a leader from without were not near as serious as the problems he had from within. Opposition always comes both ways. Once again, Nehemiah took immediate steps to remedy the situation. Read the text again and you'll discover that he reinforced the ranks and he encouraged the people and you can almost hear his battle cry as he challenged his people, remember the Lord. What happened was that some of the people from within in the project got tired. Someone has said that fatigue makes cowards out of all of us. And isn't it something when we really get tired, when we get down, how easy it is for us to get discouraged. And one of the people who was involved in the building of the walls began to look around at all of the rubbish from the walls that had to be cleaned out before the new walls could go up. And someone had started a rumor around the wall project that the enemies were going to come secretly when they were not expected and that they would come right up next to them and they would be easily camouflaged in the piles of rubbish that were around. And before they knew it, they would be face to face with an enemy and all they had were trowels. They didn't have any weapons. You know, you don't have to have the enemy there to be afraid of him. All you have to have is the thought that he might show up at any moment. And that's what was going on. And Nehemiah faced that whole problem of discouragement in the fourth chapter. Go back and read it again. It's a thrilling story. And then in the fifth chapter, he faced the problem of dissatisfaction. It is always true that when discouragement is not checked, dissatisfaction and grumbling occur. I always read the fifth chapter of Nehemiah with great, great encouragement for my heart as a pastor. How the very people whom God was delivering through the project of the walls were now beginning to complain against him. Isn't that a reoccurring theme in the Old Testament? The people that God was taking out of Egypt into the promised land turned on God in the process and said, we wish we could be back in Egypt. At least we had a good meal and we knew where we were going to lay our head at night and we don't like running around the wilderness. out. God had taken them out of captivity and they had forgotten how hard it was to make bricks and to gather the straw for the bricks and be under the hand of the Egyptian taskmasters. And as soon as God had delivered them and they're out here on their way, they turned against the one who had helped them in the first place. What a sad thing. And here are Nehemiah's people. He's gathered them on this project. It's in good stead. It's moving forward. And all of a sudden they start complaining and grumbling, crying out. If they had been given over to the task of building the walls, they would not have had time to grumble and complain. But Nehemiah was a man of God. He was a great leader. And the most wonderful words in this whole book are the words of accomplishment. So the wall was finished, and it was accomplished. I've written down in my notes that there are several things about leadership that Nehemiah teaches us, just five. What kind of a person is Nehemiah and what kind of a leader was he? And I'll just tell you very quickly, there were five things that come to the surface as I review these early chapters of this book. First of all, he was a man of prayer. 
There is no such thing as godly leadership without prayer. You take all the leaders that the world knows in the spiritual realm, whether they be from the Old or New Testament, and the leaders who served after New Testament times in early church history right on up until the present day, and you show me a leader that God is using, and there will be in his life a commitment to prayer. Prayer is the common denominator of leadership because leadership is not human leadership. It is God's person standing in the gap for God in his place. And therefore, prayer becomes paramount. Over and over again in this book, you see in Nehemiah that he was committed to prayer. Some of his prayers are long. Some are very brief, as if in a moment of time to say, Lord, what do you want me to do here? But he was a man of prayer. Secondly, he was a man of purpose. He knew what he was supposed to do. He had a clear vision of why God had left him on planet Earth. God put him here for one purpose, and that purpose galvanized his life. The reason Nehemiah was such a great leader was he was focused. He knew what God called him to do. And he was fortunate because his focus was on a material project where he could check his progress. He was a man of purpose. But of course, a leader has to be a man of persuasion, too. The only way you can find out if you're a leader is to turn around and see if anybody's following. And Nehemiah was able to persuade others to go with him in the process. He was a man who, by his own lifestyle, his own example, and his persuasive powers, could stand up in front of his people and say, we're going to do this. By the grace of God, we're going to do it together. He was a man of persuasion. I think he was a man of perspective. He saw things as they fit together. That's what I get when I see him riding around the walls at night. What was he doing? He knew that it would be foolhardy just to jump in at one place in the project and start building away. And if you read his journey in chapter 2 and then go back and read how he organized the people in chapter 3, you will see that the perspective Nehemiah got first was the whole template that dictated how he organized the people in the project. He had to see the whole thing in one big picture. And when he got the whole view of it, then he knew where to start. We have to get the whole picture. We have to lay the whole thing out. We have to get the whole design out in front of us. And then when we see the big picture, we can begin to go back and see how the individual parts fit within the big picture. That's called perspective. And I believe that the hardest thing in life in leadership is to continue to keep your perspective. It is so easy to lose perspective along the way. If you get too close to something, you lose perspective. If you get too far away, you lose perspective. Keeping perspective is a matter of always staying in the right proximity of the project over which God has given you direction. Nehemiah was a man of perspective. He saw the whole, and then he saw how the parts fit together within the whole. And then finally, I think the most commendable thing about him was that he was a man of persistence. He didn't quit. Look at all the things that happened to him. I get encouraged when I read about Nehemiah because we have never had anything quite like that. We've had discouragements, and we've had interruptions, and we've had nuisance things happen to us. But Nehemiah, every time he turned around, he was getting hit or blindsided with something else, and he wouldn't come down from the wall. He said, I'm not going to quit till we get this done. If we're going to be leaders, we've got to be persistent. We've got to be quitting. Only when God says, it's time to quit. Amen. Amen. Well, um... Tomorrow we're going to uh, take a couple of days to talk about how to straighten out our priorities. This is not from Nehemiah. This is, this is a separate message from 
another Old Testament book. It's the book Haggai, and it's about getting your priorities right. It's a part of our stewardship collection that we share every year in the last few days of January. You don't want to miss tomorrow. Uh, the story in Haggai is really quite relevant, and uh, we'll find out how it applies to our lives as we enter into this new year. Once again, let me remind you, the per code is yours for the asking when you send a gift to Turning Point in these last few days of January. We are so excited about this book. Every chapter has a prayer, life-guiding principles, a code word to help you apply the principles, and a code verse to memorize. It's a hardback book with presentation page and a ribbon bookmark, a beautiful gift book, but mostly a beautiful book about prayer that will be an encouragement to you in 2022. Ask for it when you send your gift today, and be sure to join us tomorrow here on Turning Point. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, 10 Steps to Spiritual Renewal, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of O.S. Hawkins' latest book, The Prayer Code. 40 scripture prayers every believer should pray. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in several durable and stylish cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we begin a special series on stewardship here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. These words of Jesus have become part of our cultural conversation. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. While Jesus demonstrated that truth by literally laying down his life on a cruel Roman cross, dying isn't the only way to show others our love. 
Anytime we choose another person's need over our own, we lay down part of our life to show our love. Whether it's lending a listening ear, delivering a meal to a neighbor, loaning a car, or providing a shoulder to cry on, we can show Jesus' kind of love every day. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ways to love others on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.